Hello and welcome to Misty 101 podcast. Homes may have gas cut off if they refuse to take part in hydrogen trial. Homeowners who refuse to take part in a hydrogen energy trial will be forcibly cut off by gas network operators, under government plans to test green heating alternatives. Residents in one village will begin the pilot scheme by 2025 to help the government assess whether hydrogen gas can be used as a low-carbon alternative for heating homes across the country. Ministers insisted the powers to enter people's homes and switch off their gas would only be used as a last resort if the homeowners had refused to engage with any other options. A consultation, which ended this week, suggests the government will seek powers to allow gas distribution networks to enter homes if their owners do not wish to take part in the trial, in order to safely switch them off from the gas grid. Current powers enable network operators to enter premises for a variety of purposes, including for suspected gas leaks or inspecting pipes and fittings. Hydrogen, which is lighter and more flammable than natural gas, requires homeowners to replace their hobs, ovens, gas fires and pipes to ensure they operate safely. The government has vowed to tackle emissions from our homes in its plans to reduce greenhouse gases by 78% by 2035 and to get to net zero by 2050. Around 85% of British homes use natural gas, which is mostly methane, for heating and cooking, accounting for around 14% of the UK's emissions. Viable alternative to natural gas The government has suggested that hydrogen could prove a viable alternative to natural gas in some homes, depending on the outcome of trials to assess its safety and viability. Hydrogen is a more explosive fuel than natural gas, although energy companies say it can be made equally safe with retrofits to the network. It is expected to support the rollout of heat pumps as the main alternative to gas boilers when its heat and buildings strategy is introduced later this year. Low carbon hydrogen can be made by either using methane, with the emissions captured and stored, which is classed as blue, or through electrolysis, which is considered green if renewable electricity is used. It will cost around £22 billion to make the gas distribution network hydrogen ready, according to 2018 analysis by the business department, and the costs of hydrogen are expected to be around three times that of natural gas. Philip Dunn MP, the Conservative chairman of the Environmental Audit Committee, said. The proposed powers suggested in the government's consultation document on the hydrogen trials, if taken forward, must only ever be used as a last resort and purely in the interests of safety for all concerned. Darren Jones MP, the Labour Chairman of the Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy Committee, said that powers of entry is a question of timing. There might be some households towards the end of the transition period who will ultimately have to be forced into a lower carbon option but these powers should not be used early in the transition, 
and especially not when other options are not market viable and forward slash or without government financial support he said. Alternatives will be offered to participants in the initial village hydrogen trial, under the government's plans. Delayed government plans. The government's long-delayed heat and buildings strategy is expected to lay out plans for homes to switch to low-carbon heating, including funding for energy efficiency and heat pumps. It is expected to come in conjunction with plans to move green levies from electric to gas bills in order to encourage the shift to electrified heat such as heat pumps. But there are concerns both may be delayed again amid the gas price crunch which has pushed wholesale prices to record levels that will be passed on to consumers when the price cap is raised again in February. Richard Lowe's, an energy expert at the University of Exeter, said the need to secure powers of entry showed that hydrogen isn't an easy drop-in solution. We've been told it's an easy thing to do and people won't even notice. Clearly this shows that isn't the case. A BS spokesperson said, the UK is playing a leading role in tackling climate change and will make a decision on the role of hydrogen in heating homes in 2026. No one will be forced to use hydrogen as part of the heating trials and no trials will take place until we are satisfied they will be run safely. Gas distribution networks would also only enter homes using the proposed powers as a last resort to ensure those homes kept safe. I accidentally made £26,000, one man shares his fascinating story. Ryan Champion from Bristol says himself that he hasn't always been good with money but it would seem he was born with an entrepreneurial streak. Before he even knew what an entrepreneur was he was flying to Morocco to source beanie hats, which he later sold for a profit at festivals in the UK. Then five years ago he found himself accidentally starting an Airbnb business in Bath, which turned over £26,000 a year and eventually allowed him to work from a beach in Thailand. It all began shortly after arriving back in the UK having been living in Asia for a few years. Ryan's girlfriend asked him to rent a property in Bath because she was planning on setting up a business. The business never got off the ground, so he was left with a four-bedroom house that he didn't know what to do with. After checking with the landlord and agreeing to pay 25% more in rent, he listed the rooms on Airbnb and hasn't looked back since. He says although the first year was a hard slog it wasn't long until he was running it from a faraway beach. Within 12 months of me airbombing a room I'd moved to Barcelona for two months to see if I could run it without me being there he explained. One of the things that appeals to me is being location independent. It may have allowed him to enjoy a laptop lifestyle, but Ryan's journey wasn't without its ups and downs. It was a bit of a love-forward-slash-hate relationship to be honest Ryan laughed. Yes £26,000 is great but it was an accidental project and never something that I absolutely loved doing. Despite the fact that he had to invest a lot of time into it in the beginning, once it was up and running he also jetted off to Thailand and Egypt. 
Rent-to-rent is a business model that has become more popular over recent years as landlords become more open to letting their property out to one individual who sublets. However, once the business is set up to run like a well-oiled machine, there's no reason why people couldn't do this alongside a full-time job, or indeed from another country, according to Ryan. You don't see Richard Branson stressing out and he's got 25 businesses Ryan laughed. The message here is can you give up six months of your life in the beginning? Although Ryan's landlord was reluctant at first, he was really happy with the arrangement once he'd inspected the property and got to know him. It was an experience Ryan will never forget and he says that lots more landlords are open to letting this way than they were five years ago. For other people thinking of going down this route, he recommends that they always check with the landlord first. Set up online systems so that everything runs like clockwork. Find a good cultural fit when hiring other people but give people flexibility. Since the pandemic, Ryan is no longer running the Airbnb but says it allowed him to hone a lot of new skills. He now uses his experience to hire content writers, work as a business coach and run his own website ryanchampion.me. Often this is an entrepreneur who has the time, skills and patience to market and then sublet the individual rooms to students or Airbnb guests. As with anything, it's more time-consuming than one might think and it's advisable to not try and run this alongside a full-time job or from a beach for at least the first six months to a year. Ryan said, I couldn't commit to anything for the first year, I had a couple of part-time jobs and still carried on with my freelance work but they had to be flexible to fit around the Airbnb business. Billionaire tycoon poised to renew fight to offer cut-price parking at Heathrow to challenge airports' extortionate prices. A billionaire tycoon is poised to renew his fight to offer cut-price parking at Heathrow to challenge the airport's extortionate prices. Last week, Heathrow said it would introduce a £5 forecourt access fee from November to help recoup Covid losses. It said the fee per car for drop-offs would encourage passengers to use public transport. Aurora, who runs six hotels at Heathrow, applied to build a nine-story car park in 2015 but the planning application was blocked, and he had to settle for a scaled-back option, not for use by the public. To get his original plans through he filed a legal claim against Heathrow Airport and Hillingdon Council in 2018. The case has been on hold over the pandemic, but Aurora now expects to be given a date for the hearing next year. Carlton Brown, chief financial officer at Aurora Group, said, Heathrow's car parking is double where it should be. We want to offer customers a better deal and more choice. Heathrow said its parking charges were not regulated and it was free to set its own prices. It added that Hillingdon Council denied Aurora's application as the cap on car parking spaces at Heathrow had been reached, and said it had no ability to block planning applications. Aurora also wrote to Heathrow boss John Holland K this summer about the airport doubling charges for water and sewerage at two hotels.
it is weighing up a legal challenge against the bills or referring the issue to the Competition and Markets Authority. Surinder Aurora wants to double the size of his multi-story car park on the south side of the airport to more than 2,000 spaces. It can currently only be used by airport workers, but Aurora is fighting for permission to open it to the public. If he is successful, he will charge half Heathrow's rates. Its long-stay parking costs £38.20 at peak times for the first day, and £30.50 for each additional day. Gatwick charges £25 on the first day, then £20 a day. Last week, Heathrow said it would introduce a £5 forecourt access fee from November to help recoup Covid losses. It said the fee per car for drop-offs would encourage passengers to use public transport. Aurora, who runs six hotels at Heathrow, applied to build a nine-storey car park in 2015 but the planning application was blocked, and he had to settle for a scaled-back option, not for use by the public. To get his original plans through he filed a legal claim against Heathrow Airport and Hillingdon Council in 2018. The case has been on hold over the pandemic, but Aurora now expects to be given a date for the hearing next year. Carlton Brown, chief financial officer at Aurora Group, said, Heathrow's car parking is double where it should be. We want to offer customers a better deal and more choice. Heathrow said its parking charges were not regulated and it was free to set its own prices. It added that Hillingdon Council denied Aurora's application as the cap on car parking spaces at Heathrow had been reached, and said it had no ability to block planning applications. Aurora also wrote to Heathrow boss John Holland K this summer about the airport doubling charges for water and sewerage at two hotels. It is weighing up a legal challenge against the bills or referring the issue to the Competition and Markets Authority. UK faces a double whammy of food price rises that squeezes consumers. Britain faces a double whammy of food price rises that will squeeze consumers already facing drastic hikes in energy and household bills. Food industry experts warned shoppers to brace themselves for an increase of 4 or 5% by the end of November followed by a similar rise in January. David Sables, a food industry veteran who helps suppliers negotiate with big firms, said the first set of price hikes were linked to rising cost of commodities, raw materials and labour in recent months. But he warned the effects of the current gas crisis lorry driver shortage and carbon dioxide shortages had not yet filtered through. CO2 is used in food production, including salad bags and meat packaging, and soaring gas bills have forced some suppliers to shut. Tesco chairman John Allen warned two weeks ago that shoppers should prepare for price rises of around 5% before Christmas. But Mr Sables, Chief Executive at Consultants Sentinel, said the latest strains on the economy had paved the way for a second set of price rises, due to hit consumers in the new year. One supermarket executive agreed, adding he expected inflation to reach at least double if not triple the current 3.2% rate. 
Consumer prices rose by the most on record in the year to August, with economists highlighting food price inflation as a chief cause. Dutch PM under protection as the Mokro Mafia drug cartel sows fear in the Netherlands. Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte has been placed under police protection in response to fears of an attack by the Mokro Mafia, Moroccan Mafia, a North African criminal organization linked to cocaine trafficking, two months after Dutch investigative journalist Peter Udevries was murdered in Amsterdam. No more cycling alone through the streets of The Hague to get to meetings for Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte. On 27 September, Dutch Daily De Telegraaf reported that the Royal and Diplomatic Security Services have deployed personal security guards to protect the Prime Minister, who is believed to be under threat from the Mokro Mafia. The group operates out of the Netherlands and Belgium and controls a third of all cocaine traffic in Europe. One police union chief said in 2019 that the Netherlands was becoming a narco-state. The 2014 novel Mokro Mafia, co-authored by Marijn Schrijva and Wouter Laumans, coined the term and brought the criminal gang to the public's attention recounting how a group of Moroccan jewellery thieves in Amsterdam created one of Europe's most powerful criminal organisations. After its success in the Netherlands, the book was made into a TV series. The murder of prominent investigative journalist Peter Udevries was a huge shock for the country. The 64-year-old was shot in broad daylight on 6 July, 2021 after leaving a television studio in central Amsterdam. He died nine days later. Dutch media say that his suspected murderer was acting on the orders of Ridwan Tagai, leader of the Mokro Mafia, who was arrested in December 2019 and is currently in a Dutch prison. De Vries was acting as a spokesperson for Nabil B, a former gang member turned informant, when he was shot. His assassination followed the September 2019 murder of Dirk Wiersum, Nabil B.S. lawyer. Two Dutch media outlets, Panorama and De Telegraaf, were also targeted after publishing investigative pieces in which they named Mokro Mafia bosses. From Cannabis to Cocaine Founded in the 1990s, the group is made up of dozens of different clans that traffic cocaine and synthetic drugs through Europe. Its name comes from the Dutch slur Mokro, used for people of Moroccan descent living in Belgium or the Netherlands. The organization's motto is, We prate, Digar whoever talks, dies. The organization began by smuggling hashish from Morocco to Europe before growing into one of the most powerful cocaine trafficking cartels in the Netherlands and then in Belgium in the 2010s. They started in the 90s selling cannabis resin. They know the people who sell it in the Moroccan, Rif region and became skilled in contraband. Then some of them branched out into cocaine, which is a lot more lucrative. They were able to get direct contacts in areas where it is produced and then establish themselves as major players in the industry, 
which before was a monopoly controlled by Italian mafia organizations like the Ndrangheta explained David Weinberger, an associate research fellow at the French Institute for International and Strategic Affairs, IRIS, and an expert in illicit drug trafficking. By developing direct links with Colombian and Mexican cartels, the Mocro Mafia trafficked cocaine through the ports of Antwerp and Rotterdam. Police drug hauls at the ports have become increasingly common, and Europol now considers Belgium and the Netherlands to be the nerve centre of cocaine trafficking in Europe. There have recently been seizures of dozens of tonnes of cocaine, which is huge. To give you an idea, the annual consumption of cocaine on the French market in 2010, the most recent available data, is estimated to be 15 tonnes said Weinberger. The group's terrifying kingpin. According to investigations by Dutch journalists, one man has been at the head of this gigantic operation between 2015 and 2017, Ridwan Tagai, the son of Moroccan immigrants who has made a name for himself through his extremely violent methods. Tagai was arrested in Dubai in 2019 and stands accused of having ordered the assassinations of nine people. His trial began in Amsterdam in March 2021. The 43-year-old is currently being held in a high-security prison in Vught in the Netherlands. Many of those who have testified at his trial have asked for anonymity, fearing reprisals from the Mokro Mafia. Tagai controls an empire worth millions of euros and is suspected of having a direct link to Colombian cartels. His suspected right-hand man, said Ratsuki, was arrested in the Colombian city of Medellin in February 2020. Frederick Van Leeuw Belgium's federal prosecutor, said that after the peace deal signed between the government and FARC rebels in Colombia in 2016, European criminal organizations shortened their supply chains. Since then, the Calabrian Drangheta and the Mocro Mafia have become major players in their own right in cocaine trafficking. In an interview with the French newspaper Le Monde, Van Leeuw said the open violence perpetrated by mafias is akin to terrorism. The goal is to scare people he said. Only by using the politics of fear can they get what they want. Sending a message. With Rutt's increased security detail, the Mocro Mafia has succeeded in its latest attempts at intimidating journalists and Dutch authorities. What is certain is that the way in which drug trafficking groups in Western Europe operate is similar to what you see in Mexico David Weinberger told France 24. That is, terrorizing people by sending these kinds of strong messages that public authorities consider a risk. Italy has seen this with the killings of anti-mafia prosecutors. There is no concrete evidence to suggest that Ridwan Tagai is directing this campaign of intimidation from his jail cell. But it is feared he may try to threaten or silence those who are called to testify during his trial. The court was due to hear testimony from De Vries before he was assassinated. The trial, which is set to last into 2022, 
could also shed light on Tagai's alleged involvement in the killing of Nabil B.S. lawyer Dirk Wearsome. Fear on the ward, UK mothers threatened with social services for refusing maternity care. Pregnant women and new mothers are being referred to social services by midwives for refusing to follow their advice, patient advocacy groups have warned. Expectant parents who have declined care, including opting out of scans, refusing inductions or failing to attend antenatal appointments, are among those who have faced threats from healthcare professionals amounting to coercion, according to the Association for Improvements in the Maternity Services, AIMS. Since the pandemic, our helpline has seen an increase in those threatened with or referred to social services for declining some form of medical care during their pregnancy, even though opting out of inductions, tests or scans are perfectly legal and valid choices said Maddie McMahon, a helpline volunteer. While the problem is long-standing, calls to AIMS have increased since the COVID-19 crisis, with 5% of inquiries between April. 2020 and March, 2021 relating to concerns about a referral, either actual or threatened. AIMS coordinator Nadia Hickson said, often the threat of a referral is used to coerce someone into accepting unwanted care. She added that since the start of the pandemic there had been an increase in the number of cases where threats had been made to those opting for a free birth giving birth without medical staff present through choice after home services were withdrawn in some areas rather than agreeing to what they saw as the riskier option of having their baby in a COVID-infected hospital. The charity Birthrights says it has also seen the number of reports about social service referrals more than double in the last financial year. Rachel Ree, from Manchester, gave birth at home on 23 December with no complications. But on Christmas Day she received a call saying blood samples taken from the umbilical cord for routine checks had been incorrectly labelled and destroyed meaning she would have to take her baby into hospital that day for a blood test. I told them I would not be taking my newborn into hospital during a pandemic for something that was of no benefit to her but they said if I refused they would get another agency involved she said. They even said the police would come and take the baby to hospital. Heather Spain wrote an open letter to midwives claiming she was held captive on a postnatal ward in Wales after the birth of her son in February. She had been asked to stay in hospital for a repeat blood test instead of taking her baby home and returning later for the test. The 34-year-old said, waiting for the test would have meant another night on the hot, noisy ward, where I was completely exhausted and struggling to sleep and care for my baby without the support of my partner who was unable to visit because of COVID-19 restrictions. I knew they had no legal right to keep me there but I was shocked to find myself feeling so powerless. Heather Spain Yet when she tried to leave, staff refused to unlock doors, called security and threatened to call the police, she alleged. She wrote, There is not a day that goes by when I don't wonder, why? You held me and my then four-day-old newborn captive on the maternity ward, when you initiated the child abduction protocol, resulting in three male security officers physically blocking my path.
After negotiating with the ward manager, she finally managed to leave but was warned staff would be obliged to report her to social services. Had I not been alone, I don't think I would have been treated in that way said Spain. I feel women have been left increasingly vulnerable to such threats during the pandemic because they haven't had their birth partners around to support them. I knew they had no legal right to keep me there but I was shocked to find myself feeling so powerless. Spain, who is a diplomat and read extensively around the subject of childbirth after learning she was pregnant, said she felt haunted at the thought of women less able to advocate for themselves. Shivali Patel, from West London, had a free birth after feeling that trust had broken down between her and community midwives. She was reported to Children's Social Services at 36 weeks pregnant because those assigned to her home birth disagreed with how she intended to manage her labor. I ended up doing it on my own with my partner, a friend and a birth coach she said. I would have preferred support from a midwife as well but I didn't feel safe with them because they didn't listen. Maria Booker, Programs Director at Birthrights, said. Referrals to social services are for concerns about how a baby will be cared for after it is born. They are not a tool for coercing women and birthing people into making different birth choices. Leah Hazard, a Scotland-based midwife and the author of Hard Pushed, a midwife story, said that it was important not to vilify midwives. She said, it's never okay to threaten women with social services over a difference of opinion. But I think part of the problem is a wider culture of defensive practice, and possibly, for some people, that might push them to make decisions that are not in line with their professional obligations. The Royal College of Midwives, RCM highlighted the midwife's role in empowering women to make informed choices during pregnancy and birth. It said the ability of midwives to communicate implications for a particular choice was based on developing trust. But it added, serious shortages of midwives are impacting this ability, with little or no time to develop these important relationships. This is a huge concern for the RCM. The reality is pressures on time and resources means communication is sometimes not as clear as it should be and sadly, some women feel their wishes have been ignored. The RCM has published guidance for midwives, including on how to support those opting for an unassisted birth. NHS England said it was up to individual trusts to enact their own safeguarding protocols. We are asking for your support. You can make your donations on our website www.misty101.com on podcast page. We hope that you have enjoyed the show. We thank you for being with us and your support. Goodbye till next time.